let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft. Coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening, where we are set to continue our reflections into the book of Genesis, a study that has had us engaging one verse to the next, one one chapter to the next, and really divine revelation as a whole, so as to better understand how God desires to meet us exactly where we are at, so as to walk with us exactly as he is. And this is what studying sacred scripture is all about. My dear friends, what we have to understand uh, is that any study on the book of Genesis is an opportunity to come to know our Lord more. I found myself in several different conversations over the weekend about what we are doing with the book of Genesis. And one of the things that I was communicating to Each of them, in both of these conversations, was this just isn't some archaic book that has no relevance. No, as St. Augustine said, if we can only understand the book of Genesis, we will understand God all the more, especially when you start going through the book of Genesis verse by verse, because once we understand one verse, then we can better understand the next verse. And once we understand the next verse, then we can better understand the following verse, right? So often, in our studies of the Bible, we isolate a text, and we might spend 45 minutes on one verse, and that's great, especially if that verse is power-packed. I get that. But in those studies, we leave out the context. We leave out the preceding verse, the proceeding verse. We, we leave out the preceding chapter, the proceeding chapter. <clears throat> My dear friends, we have to be sure that we are interpreting each and every verse in light of the whole, okay? And I'm spending time with this today because this evening we are going to be studying Abraham and Abimelech, right? And, and their great covenant that we read about at the end of chapter 21. These verses are quintessential to better understanding the much larger significance of the number seven. I am often asked, what is the significance of the number seven? Well, I think we have more than just a clue in our reading today. But before we get into that reading, I do want to just kind of reflect (laughs) and engage the significance of the number seven, because it is a question that has come up. And and if we're going to understand the impact of today's verse and its relevance to the whole of divine revelation, we should consider the whole of divine revelation in light of the number seven. Okay, so where do we see the number seven. Well, of course, the first use of the number seven in the Bible relates to uh, the creation week in the book of Genesis chapter one. To some degree, we have talked a little bit about the number seven because we have already treated the sixth day and the seventh day, right? God spends six days creating the heavens and the earth and then rests on the what but the seventh day. Uh, This is really our template for the seven-day week, right? That seven-day week observed around the world. The seventh day, my friends, was to be set apart for Israel. The Sabbath was a holy day of rest. 
It was a day of covenant. The Sabbath was the sign of the first covenant between God and man, between God and Adam and Eve. So right at the start of the Bible, the number seven is identified with something holy, yes, of course, but something that has been finished, something that that has been made complete. From then on, that association continues over 700 times, as seven is often found in contexts involving completeness, or we can even say divine perfection. The, The question that I also get is, why is the number seven perfect? Well, this is what this evening is about. We see the command for animals to be at least, what, but seven days old before being used for sacrifice. How about uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10? The command for the leper Naaman to bathe in the Jordan River seven times to effect complete cleansing. Huh? How about, of course, Joshua chapter 6, verses 3 to 4? We'll talk more about this later. The command for Joshua to march around Jericho for seven days, and on the seventh day to make seven circuits, and for seven priests to blow seven trumpets outside the city walls. Again, in these instances, my friends, seven signifies a completion of some kind. A divine mandate has been fulfilled. You can kind of probe deeper with this and discover uh, something else. (laughs) Man was created on the sixth day of creation, and we know that in some passages of the Bible, the number six is associated with mankind in the book of Revelation. The number of the beast, of course, is called the number of a man. That number is 666, and as we've talked about great length here on Seeds of Truth, that, of course, is tied to the wisdom of Solomon and the abuse of wisdom. So if God's number is seven, then man's is six. Six always falls short of seven. Just like all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Man is not God, just as six is not seven. We find seven pairs of each clean animals go on to the what but ark. Seven stems on the tabernacle's lampstand. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Seven qualities of the Messiah. We, we also read of seven signs in John's gospel. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 16, we read of seven things that the Lord hates. In the Gospel of Matthew, obviously aware of the significance of the number seven, he is writing to a Palestinian Christian Jewish audience. He speaks of what but seven parables. And in Matthew, chapter 23, he also speaks to the seven woes. How about multiples of seven? Multiples of seven also figure into the biblical narrative. The 70 weeks prophecy in the book of Daniel, chapter 29, verse 24. What does that concern itself with? But the 490 years, 7 times 7 times 10. Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 10, predicted what? But the Babylonian captivity that would last for 70 years, 7 times 10. According to the book of Leviticus, in chapter 25, verse 8, the year of Jubilee was to begin when? after the passing of every 49th month. How about the seven ancient great feast days of the Israelites, always tied to the number seven? Sometimes, sometimes, the, the significance of the number seven can be, I think, a great source of comfort for us. 
Jesus is the sevenfold I am in the gospel of John. I am the resurrection. I am the bread of life, right? I am the good shepherd. This past weekend, we were reflecting into the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. There's consolation in these, right? Other times, the number seven challenges us. What did Jesus tell Peter? But to forgive the wrongdoer seven times? No, 70 times seven. Enough is never enough until it gives everything. That is the great challenge that Jesus lays before Peter. And then, of course, we know of the number seven and its association with God's judgment. The seven bulls of the great tribulation in the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 1. And God's warning to Israel in the book of Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 18. If you were to go to the book of Revelation, we talked a little bit about this in our study on the book of Revelation. You can see the number seven used more than 50 times in a whole variety of contexts. There are seven letters to seven churches in Asia and, and seven spirits before God's throne. We see seven golden lampstands in chapter 1, verse 12. Seven stars in Christ's right hand. The seven seals, again, of God's judgment. Seven angels with seven trumpets. Brothers and sisters, the point to be had here is that the number seven, again, represents completeness or totality, as the seven churches represent the completeness of the body of Christ. The seven seals on the skull represent the fullness of God's punishment of a sinful earth, and so on and so forth. Now, before I jump into our reading, to explain to you why I'm carrying on here this evening about the significance of the number seven, <laughs> is that sometimes, although it's fewer than one might think, the number seven just means it's nothing more than the number seven, right? <laughs> Yet even to, to hear the word seven is to be reminded of the greatness of God's relationship with man the greatness of the covenant that God made with man. Something I have talked about a great deal, but again, I highlight the number seven here because, as I noted off the top, what I would argue to be a series of very important verses that we are about to read in the great covenant between Abraham and Abimelech. So, all that being said, my friends, with all of what I just talked about in a rearview mirror, because we're going to go back to some of it. Let's now read chapter 21, verses 22 to 34, where we read of Abraham and Abimelech making a covenant. Okay, verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. He has a reputation, huh? <laughs> Clearly. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But as I have dealt loyally with you, you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven 
you lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven you lambs which you have set apart? A question I asked when I first read this text. What is the meaning of this? Well, Abraham answers in verse 30, these seven you lambs you will take from my hand that you may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. All right, so more topically, what we have in verses 22 to 34 is this covenant of mutual peace between Abraham and Abimelech. And my, my friends, it really follows the pattern of a, of a Near Eastern kinship or parity covenant between equals. And there is a, kind of a fourfold sequence of events where both parties swear a solemn oath during a, a ratification ceremony. This is what we have in verse 31. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. They also invoked the presence of God. They invoked God's name. We read in verse 23, Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity. But as I have dealt loyally with you, you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. So you have this ratification ceremony where there is an invocation of the presence of God. And then there needs to be what but this kind of mutual agreement through a verbal declaration. We read of that in verse 30. He said, These seven you lambs you will take from my hand that you may be a witness for me that I dug this well. And then, of course, the ritual action that belongs to any kind of ceremony, and this is what we read of in verse 28. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. Okay, now what's the significance of identifying this place, Beersheba? Beersheba. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Well, that uh, place translates as well of seven or well of oath. Well of the oath, really better translated. And while we might translate it as the well of seven or the well of the oath, really the two meanings are related. And this is important to us because the number seven has the same root as the verb for swearing an oath in biblical Hebrew, that the shava, the swear an oath, it literally translates as to seven oneself. So in this episode, when we have Abraham enacting his oath by giving seven ewe lambs as a covenant witness, what is he doing? He's reminding us of the greatness of the significance of the number seven, that the number seven, as we speak to it, as the number of uh, fulfillment, completion, it's that because it's the great covenant number to swear an oath, to seven oneself. So for everything that I have talked about this evening, specific to where we find the number seven in sacred scripture and how it's tied to fulfillment and completion, how it's tied to mandate and judgment, how it's tied to consolation. 
all of that is true because all of that is caught up in everything that belongs to being in covenant relationship with God. That's the greatness of the number seven. And that's the significance of these verses. Once we come to understand that to swear an oath is to seven oneself, that binding ourselves with God is imbued with this much deeper sense of the number seven, that the number seven, yes, is very much a number, a symbol that signifies a deeper reality. And yeah, I mean, it's right to go back to creation because the seventh day was hallowed. He enters into the most profound covenant relationship with us on the seventh day. Oh, by the way, my friends, for those of us who might not be familiar with this, how do you enter into a covenant relationship with God? Well, it's what I just spoke to. You swear an oath. What is the Latin word for oath? But sacramentum. Sacramentum. How many sacraments do we have? Seven. Coincidence? Of course not. Some random concurrence of words? No. Of course not. There is something deeper going on here. Because it is in the sacramental life of the church where we continue our ongoing covenant relationship with God. I'm hearing a former professor of mine in my ear right now, Dr. Scott Hahn, who, who once said, if, if there's one word out there that unlocks the Christian mystery, that unlocks the Bible, it is covenant. A word that, yes, Webster's Dictionary might define as, as a compact agreement, and that's what you see going, going on here in Genesis chapter 21. But you and I both know, my friends, that God elevates this compact agreement to be something more, because it's, it's not the exchange of things, but persons. In this covenant between Abraham and Abim, like, yeah, you have an exchange of seven new lambs. But in the much larger whole, as I was speaking to it earlier again, right, it points to something greater. God's covenant relationship with man. Not this is yours and this is mine, but I am yours and you are mine. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the gate, the door. I am the one who is I am. This is a great source of consolation that at his very essence, he is relationship. He is personhood. Because if we forget that, well, my friends, we will lose track of, of what our faith is about because our faith is about relationship. And we can better understand this relationship when we study sacred scripture and the light of covenant. And so when you apply what we are talking about here to better understanding sacred scripture. Yes, what we have going on is every time we see the number seven, a reminder that God is, is working on behalf of his chosen people. A reminder that God is a father who always keeps his promises. A reminder that the Old and New Testament is the Old and New Covenant. Because... <laughs> What is sacred scripture testifying on behalf of? But God's covenant love. All right. What more could be said to these verses? Well, uh, let's go down to verse 33. This verse kind of caught my attention. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree 
and Beersheba. Uh, what is a tamarisk tree? Well, a sacred landmark. And in this case, of course, planted as a memorial of God's blessings to Abraham during his sojourn in Canaan. Remember what we talked about? Oh, I'm flipping back to Genesis chapter 12, verses uh, 5, 6, and 7. I'll go to verse 6 here, chapter 12, verse 6. Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And here we have in verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. To your descendants I will give this land. So here we have the first time in sacred scripture that Canaan is designated as the promised land intended for the family of Abraham. And of course, there he built an ark. Here, this tamarisk tree is planted because we see that it is a memorial, again, a memorial of God's blessings to Abraham as he uh, sojourns to Canaan. Abraham has remembered. He has not forgotten God's promise. And brothers and sisters, just by way of closing reflection this evening, I want us to remember the importance of remembering. There are many times in our lives, I think, that God encounters us. And in that encounter, we are lifted up, right? I mean, haven't we had that encounter with God where, whether it was through a person, maybe we were in worship, maybe we were just uh, in solitude with God in prayer, but we felt his presence, it consumed us. And as we encountered God's presence, we heard that still voice, I am with you. And we were made to go deeper into God in that moment. And, and we found ourselves cracking a smile because in the end, we knew in that moment that God existed and, and that God will provide for us. And yet, maybe it was a day later, a week later, a month later, or a year later that we forgot about that moment. <laughs> did Abraham, oh, Abraham went back and forth with God, for sure. We're going to read tomorrow about the great binding of Isaac and the great testing of Abraham. My goodness, was he challenged. My goodness, was he tested. We too are tested, my friends. As we've all had the mountaintop experience, there's a reason why we go into the desert to be tested. And as we are tested, we should remember. What does Jesus say? Do this in remembrance of me. You could say that the whole of the Christian faith is built into this, this chief faculty of the soul memory. Yes, Jesus says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love neighbor as yourself. What's the next command? Do this in remembrance of me those words of institution when he's in the upper room at the Last Supper, this great command right, to celebrate the Eucharist, to, to bring down his, his very presence on the altar. This is what gives shape and form to our whole faith. Remember, for the first 200, 250 years, when the Christians talked about the New Testament, it wasn't some corpus of books. We didn't have that until the end of the 4th century at the Council of Hippo. It was the Eucharist. Because the Eucharist was the transforming message as it literally transformed. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. We need to remember as a Christian people. 
Because when we remember what God has done for us in our lives, we will live a life of gratitude. This evening, we talked about the significance of the number seven. And we did so because in the book of Genesis, chapter 21, verses 22 to 34, we have a revelation of the deeper meaning of the number seven. The reason why the number seven is perfect, because all of it points to covenant communion with God, intimate relationship with God. And there is no place of greater intimacy in covenant life than receiving our Lord in the Eucharist. That is the place of memory. That is the place of gratitude. Gratitude, as Eucharist literally means gratitude. Amen. Amen. All right. With that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, an evening that has allowed us to consider bigger picture stuff as we reflect into the number seven, and that it's just not just another number, but something symbolic signifying a deeper reality pointing towards your very covenant life. We ask that the eyes of our heart see these deeper truths. We pray for the grace and the strength to be stewards of our faith as we proclaim this great faith that you have revealed to us in both word and deed. And as always, we pray all glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.